You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, so let's talk turkey. And no, I don't mean leftovers. There is no room for such talk as I have only just emerged successfully, more or less, from my post-Thanksgiving food coma. But with our tryptophan levels back to normal, and our eyes pried open from our midday naps, let's get down to brass tacks about something very important. Each and every one of you is surrounded by one or more colleagues who put in some extra innovation, create something incredible to make our jobs easier, or just make our department a better place to work. If you thought about it just for a second, I bet you could come up with a name that deserves a little recognition. Which is why it is so cool that the deadline to nominate a colleague for our department recognition programs has been extended to this Friday, December 2nd. There are two awards, Inclusive Excellence and the Think Like an Entrepreneur Award. What a great thing to see hard work get some kudos, so make your nominations now. Head over to the Administrative Support section of The Current for more information and to submit those nominations. You just got a couple more days. Also, do you have your calendars ready? I hope so, because here is a save-the-date announcement for you. The ever-growing event celebrating continuous improvement. You know which one I'm talking about. Process Palooza. It's set for March 28th through 29th at the UC San Diego Price Center. After the move from November, we want to make sure everyone has that new date written and underlined three times. Just so you don't miss out on upcoming announcements and news, take a sec to subscribe to the Process Palooza mailing list. You can find that at the website processpalooza.ucsd.edu and just click Stay Connected in the top nav. And now let's get on to our interview with the Educational Technology Support Manager, Catherine Collins. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Miguel? I'm great. I'm great. I'm re- I appreciate you joining us on the podcast and giving us some insights into the ed tech team. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So over the UC Tech event, which happened in August, I talked to a lot of folks who are still trying to figure out how to work with remote workers and rotating schedules. And they were all a little bit frustrated with how that could work. And I remember saying, it's like, well, it seems like our ed tech team has really got it nailed. And so (laughs) I wanted you, I wanted to start off by talking about your team's strategies for scheduling a hybrid workforce with people rotating remote and on-premises work. And if you could describe how that works and how you made that happen. Absolutely. So I think um, for starters, it it was a lot more gradual um, than you'd probably think. We pay very close attention to the cues given by our faculty, which is our primary customer, faculty instructional assistants. And so once we came back from the shelter in place, um, COVID shelter in place, we started to see that the drop-in rates of our instructors were declining 
but we noticed we were still getting the high amounts of traffic. It was just through emails and phone calls and requests for appointments in particular. So once we started noticing that, I asked the team to start really tracking, um, and we did this on a Google Sheet, tracking how many drop-ins we saw each day and for what reasons. And so we did that consistently for months until I said, okay, let's shift this a little bit. Instead of having two people each day coming into the office for support, when sometimes we were seeing just one person um, drop in, let's drop down to one. So again, going back to that, it was more gradual than you think. It's, it's definitely a, a steady and thoughtful process that we went through. So at this point, we still continued to see less and less people come in, but still seeing the, the request for virtual support. And so now we've adopted what we call a virtual first model. So we still will meet with instructors in person if requested, but we found that instructors really like the flexibility of online. So we've since, well, I shouldn't say we've since, we've always had some of these things. But we stood up uh, several tools that allow us to be readily available. So we use TalkDesk, we use You Can Book Me, which is an online appointment system. Uh, we really focus on our website for having great resources. In fact, an example of that would be we, we found that instructors were coming in for iClickers, for iClicker support a lot. And so we decided let's create a virtual series using our Studio U, which is under Robin Martin's team um, and, and create something that felt more personal, but accessible online. And so we stood that up. So we're, we're continuing to look at ways we can improve and deliver that top tier support, but not necessarily focusing on it having to be in person. That was a really long answer but that's how it flowed. <laughs> Keep them long. It makes my job easier. <laughs> um, on that note, so I don't know if you'll have this information off the top of your head. I'm getting this question from your answer, but what are some of the reasons that people tended to want in-person rather than virtual support? It was pretty much iClickers. And at times a few Canvas questions, but what we found is that it tends to be in-person requests when they're feeling nervous or they don't really know how to drive the, the system that they're using. So we try to encourage them to share screens over Zoom and, and actually have them drive because that's how they learn and retain most easily. And so it takes a little bit of coaching, sometimes a little digging, but again, whatever, whatever we can do to help the faculty member uh, be comfortable and use our tools in a way that makes sense for them, we will, we will meet them where, where they are, but 99% of things, actually probably a hundred could be done uh, virtually. This is a bit of a sensitive way to ask this question. So we may or may not keep it, but yeah. I was just curious. Do you see a difference between faculty who've been teaching a long time versus new faculty in terms of whether or not they are fine with virtual support versus in-person support? Yeah, that's an interesting question. At first, we definitely saw a difference at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think part of that 
you know, people tell themselves fallacies about their abilities when it comes to technology. And so I think a lot of instructors who have been teaching before, you know, Canvas, before TritonEd have always told themselves, I'm not good at technology. I'm not a tech person, all those things. And people were put in a place that they had to learn and they had to adjust. And so we did see a little resistance at first or people saying, I need in-person support. But over time, some of the people who were most resistant have become our biggest supporters and those who request virtual appointments. So the people who are coming in now, we have some regulars, we like to call them. I think they just are people who like to engage in person extroverts and that's awesome. Um, so I would say we have more regulars than what we'd call folks who wanna meet in person because they think it's more helpful than virtual. Yeah, there's a, uh, a socio kind of emotional aspect to it. Yes. It's yes. fascinating. Uh, I can definitely relate to some of those instructors, honestly. But yeah. uh, <laughs> okay, so I wanted to start with that question just because it really puts us in the middle of things. But we're going to back up a bit to just some basics, really. And I want to ask you the day in the life of a, an educational technology manager. What does that look like? Well, I I enjoy the position a lot. Um, I I have to say I have an incredible team to work with. I get to work with you, Miguel, too. Um, some of the <laughs> folks, you know, that have been on board since I started, you know, they're just an absolute pleasure to work with. I enjoy signing in and talking to them and chatting them up. It's we've built like a, a really great rapport. So that's first and foremost. In terms of the operational aspect, you know, every day we have a stand up early in the morning. We talk about the tickets that have come in, any important issues that we need to be aware of as we kind of work throughout the day or the week. I also have been doing a lot of project based work lately, um, looking at standing up pilots for different tools. Like we've done a recent uh, pilot with Mentimeter. We're currently, we're currently in, in the midst of that. Uh, new initiatives on campus like Pathways. So lots of new and exciting projects. I also talk a lot with a team about how we deliver our services and who we deliver them to. How is it meeting the needs of our customers? How will proposed changes impact them? will this scale nicely or will this become kind of an exception to the rule that we are going to be expected to maintain forever? So lots of those business decisions really end up uh, conversations about what that impact looks like, because a lot of times we don't fully evaluate what we consider small modifications to be in the long term. And so I'm really trying to create an operation that scales and makes sense for the ed tech space. And then of course, the managerial duties, one-on-ones, uh, coaching, making sure the team gets the professional development they need, um, and just really anything kind of like keeping the lights on, making sure our processes are working smoothly and students and instructors get what they need from the ed tech group. So you've described a kind of a hybrid between operational and, and project work. 
And one thing that I'm curious about, since you talked about your stand-up meetings and, and reviewing tickets that come in, is there a way that patterns are noticed in those support tickets that come in that lead to projects? So where an operational thing like snow tickets can mm -hmm. become a project just based on what we're seeing, what the patterns are coming up that uh, that are kind of outside of just our own day? Sure. I think we definitely talk about patterns because they present themselves in a variety of ways. And once it's beyond, you know, two, three people saying the same thing, it's, it's definitely time to take a look because there's going to be several others who don't tell us. So we definitely pay attention to patterns because the team is small enough. It's easy to gauge if there's interest in a particular tool, for example, or we notice that there is a problem that's being reported that we need to troubleshoot. In terms of those resulting in projects, I would maybe say mini or small projects. In some cases, we'll get product feedback that we bring back to our vendors or we bring back to our developers on a local team of ours under ATS and suggest, hey, can we talk more about how we can improve this experience? So I would say out of tickets, usually smaller projects or smaller things that we can focus on, not usually the big, the big stuff. You came from a different department within campus before you took on your current role as ed tech manager. I was wondering if you could talk about ways that this new role, or I guess it's been a few years now, yeah. but that this role has differed from what your expectations may have been before accepting it. So I will say the role as I understood it and the role as it is, is actually pretty much what I was expecting. I, I did come in with a bit of experience with managing teams and projects. And so that part felt very second nature and I kind of just jumped right in. I also worked in the past migrating platforms. Granted, it wasn't an LMS, but it was a career services management tool. And I had done that a few times. So it really felt, it felt like the right fit. Um, obviously before I got the role in during, you know, my first six months to a year. I think the one thing I didn't know is how much I'd come to enjoy working with the team, my supervisor, and just ITS as an organization in general. So that was the uncertainty, which always is with a new, a new position, but it was a great uncertain change, right? I, I took a risk and it, and it was worth it. So I am very happy with, with that move. Yes, and I'm, and you're not the only one. We're all happy with you, Catherine. Oh, so thank nice. you. Because of your answer, I'm actually going to switch the order of the next two questions. Sure. Um, so you mentioned the LMS switching that platform. We are now a few years into Canvas. And so I just wanted to get your take on how clean the transition's been and whether or not we are at a point where it is has been accepted by our faculty as our default learning management system. So the transition overall was really, really clean and successful. I think there was a lot of thought put into the project, but also a lot of the decisions around the configuration of Canvas. And of course, the team 
that I work with every day has a lot to do with that. We really led with a customer or faculty first and student first lens on everything that we did. So we thought a lot about how would this be perceived? How, how would someone make this change if they're used to doing something different? So we, we had lots of long discussions that granted they were productive. They were, they were organized in a way where we um, structured it with like decision logs and things like that. So I think there was a lot of time and energy put in before everything changed to really make it so successful. Like these things don't happen on accident. And I think there will always be people who complain, but sometimes it's, they're just venting, which is fine. And really it is hard to have such a huge campus, a huge um, student and instructor user base and to please everyone. So I think that's really where the opportunity is for integrations. Um, so third-party tools to come in and supplement maybe where an academic um, discipline might need additional support from a, spe a specific tool. And we do see that. So that's another part of kind of the the role of EdTech Manager is to look to what these needs are because we really don't want different departments trying to figure out their own system and their own schema because at the end of the day, there's just not enough support on the back end for them to do that. So really trying to do as much as we can to make all the departments as satisfied as as we could possibly make them so that they do use Canvas and they do use our tools and we can support them because when support starts becoming fragmented, it gets frustrating for the customers and we don't want that. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball. So sure. apologies in advance. Okay. Um, so with Canvas, just yes. so anybody listening understands that this learning management system is an integral part of our course delivery at UC San Diego. So this mm -hmm. is not a small tool. Now, right. my question for you, mm -hmm. uh, now that we are in it and you talked about the success of the transition from Triton Ed and, and the adoption by faculty, all of which has been really surprisingly great. There are some things that are beyond our control. So my question is, when a vendor has changes, so these vendors are not always consistent in terms of how the tool works or what kind of support they offer or things like that. And I don't want to go into specifics, but when we are faced with those changes that could cause some, some friction for our team, how do we handle those changes and how do we handle dealing with vendor created conflicts like that? So we do meet regularly with our customer success rep and he is good about letting us know about upcoming changes. And so our approach, if it's a feature option, so something that we could turn off or turn on, we typically keep it off until the change of terms. So let's say, you know, we're in winter, we'll wait till spring to turn it on because we want to provide a consistent experience for instructors and students as much as possible during the term that they're in. When you start introducing changes, 
beyond possible technical issues that would arise, you also have a training issue. So because we have such a massive um, user base, we try not to be the beta users. We try not to be turning things on immediately unless we evaluate it and the risk is incredibly low. So that's our approach to the changes. Um, also, you know, yes, Canvas is the LMS of choice and that's the one that we use. And that is a very, very, very popular um, LMS out in the market today. We don't just sit back and say, well, this is, this is what we have for now um, and not pay attention to the other folks in the market. So we continually do market research around the LMSs and the different tools available to us because we don't want to be blindsided and we want to be in the know just as much as our customers are because these companies are very smart with their marketing and they do do a lot of outreach directly to the consumer. So we try to stay one step ahead and that's that's worked out well for us. Yeah, I can see. Uh, I can bet you you know why I'm asking that question, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great answer, and um, and I I wanted to ask it in a way that was not you know sneakily sounding yeah. like I was yeah, but oh, no, no, it was great. It was yeah, great. Thank you. Okay, yeah. so this is the last of the professional type questions. Okay. Last time I had you on here, we talked about Lean Six Sigma. Uh, you were, and I believe still are, a proponent of Lean Six Sigma. You use it a lot. You talked about how you use it a lot in your day-to-day -day yeah. and, and your current position. So I was just curious. It's That was two years ago. And has anything changed? Are there any additional examples from the last couple of years as the world has changed and shifted and, and increased in unpredictability that mm -hmm. you have found Lean Six Sigma skills to be crucial to your management style? So absolutely a huge proponent of Lean Six Sigma. In fact, I have two folks on my team right now currently taking a green belt class and I talk about it excitedly with them and the rest of the team, probably to a point where they get irritated often. Um, but I, I think the only thing that has, I don't want to say changed, but has become more of my everyday thought is progress over perfection. So I think when you learn about Lean Six Sigma in the beginning, It's it can be overwhelming. This thought of putting a whole project together and um, looking at the savings and where the places of waste, and those are all things that you do, but I think it can be a little daunting. So I think I lead every day in every project with progress over perfection. And so you probably heard through some of the other responses throughout this interview, an example of looking to lean things out and to make things more efficient and effective for the customer is our, sh our shift to a virtual first model. That really, that model is built with a customer in mind because while yes, we are not physically there in person, being on our computers, the whole, the whole team being on our computers at home makes us much more available at the drop of a hat, really, 
for instructors in different modes. So when we had a person in the office, for example, that was their sole responsibility is to be in the office and be present for anyone to drop in. So now we are really reducing the amount of time that instructors have to wait to reach us. So that's an example. Um, we also look actively at our customer satisfaction, looking at feedback and saying, is this a process issue or is this a product issue? How do we get to the root of what the issue is? So I think in everything really that we do, it's a focus on customer first and making things as lean as possible. I love it. I love that, that you had a, an actual example. I'm, that that makes me very excited. And I have to say, I want to bring up from one of the past questions, when I yeah. asked you about snow driving potential projects, you talked about how maybe small projects. And that made me think of Lean Six Sigma as well, because another thing that can be a misinterpretation that I've seen a lot is that this idea that it needs to be a major billion dollar project when it really should be smaller incremental changes. Yeah. And uh, and I, I like that. I like that snow, if we used it well, mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of can be a tool for the define part of Demaic, you know, right. <laughs> or measure part of Demaic. And this is getting a little in the reads with Lean Six Sigma. But if anybody out there wants to know what in the world we're talking about with define and measure and Demaic and Lean Six Sigma, then uh, take your yellow belt and your green belts. They are available yes. to you. Yes, absolutely. All right, Catherine, we're going to go beyond the professional here. And I want you to get as embarrassing as you possibly can. <laughs> but I do want to know what was Catherine called? Well, it would, I don't, I suspect <laughs> yes. your name was different, but what yes. was Catherine like in high school? Well, Miguel, what do you think I was like? <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't want to. <laughs> you're you're opening me up for for trouble. Oh no, I, <laughs> I I had to turn that one on you. Come on. Come well, on. I mean, I, so I will answer though. I do think. Okay, let's hear it. I I do think that you were someone who tried to get along with everybody. Yeah. With all the perfect. different clicks. Oh, okay. you wanted you 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 were not someone who felt compelled to only associate with one type of person. Oh, right. But 100%. was yes, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. Thanks, Miguel. <laughs> um, well, it's funny because I I feel like there's two sides of that coin. Um, because yes, I got along with everyone, and there's really no reason not to. But I also in many cases, didn't care what everyone thought about me. So that <laughs> served me well, right? Was that you... nature or nurture? Probably a little bit of both, but def yeah, I'd say it comes from both sides. Yeah. Nature and nurture. Yep. Interesting. I yeah. asked because I cared a lot what people thought about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I still do to a, to mean, a fault. <laughs> to, I mean, I think that's just the nature of being a teenager, but you know, it, it's important to be self-aware, right? We have to have emotional intelligence and see ourselves how other people see, because my reality is my reality and yours is yours, right? So we have to be really in tune with that. But to answer your question, now that I've given you a hard time, I was a good student. I enjoy learning. I enjoy school, you know, played sports. I was on different 
like the different groups, like, uh, I would name them, but they would mean nothing to you. Like the different volunteer organizations, things like that. I never ran for like ASB or anything, but I was, I was active. I was a, a good student, almost going into goody two shoes. At least I tried to act that way in front of my parents. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I, I had a good time in high school. Well, we'll expound on that the next time we get on the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, we're at we're at a half an hour. Let's uh let's let's go ahead and say goodbye. Thank you so much for talking. This has been great. Yeah. Always a joy to chat with you, Miguel. Thank you so much for having me. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily. <laughs>